Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Let's see how much longer it takes. Anyway, 10 seconds. Welcome to Beach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Beach State Pandemonium. We need to fire that announcer and that band. They just can't get get it right. You know, I, I always do it before we go on the air just to test it. And when I hit it, uh, before we go on the air, it pops right off just as soon as I hit the button. So I don't know what, you know, what the deal Who is. Anti-Peach State Pandemonium, I think. <laughs> well, good evening and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, August 11th, 2016. This is Michael Norris along with Jerry Oates, Bobby Simmons, and Jay West. How are you guys doing this evening? Well, I'm doing good. I just want to apologize to you guys last week. Uh, uh, somebody didn't get my message, but uh, I wouldn't do that without sending a message, not make the show. So, well, We figured you, that you'd send me a message. In fact, I said on the air, you, I, you probably emailed me, and I, my email doesn't work half the time. So That's what I did. But, uh, so you were, you were doing what, chopping trees all day? Pretty much. <laughs> Better you than me, Jerry. Well, I know that's right. I didn't want y'all to think I was pulling a Brody on you, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, we knew better than that. We knew better than that. But, uh, so what, you said you had a bad storm come through there last week. Yeah, we, we had a tree on our house. I mean, it, it didn't do any damage, but then they, they had to, we had to get a, tree service and has uh, two trees in the back that went down and then just all kind of limbs and all kind of mess and it was just a mess. And some friends of ours on two streets over, a tree went through their house. Oh, man. man. Oh, it was, oh, it just, it's the one that didn't kill them. Limbs would through the ceiling and, I mean, they're, they're fortunate. I mean, they, I mean, of course, it, it, it just ruined the house, but thank God they weren't, you know, hurt. These big old trees in Savannah, they, you know, you got tree huggers here that you have to act of Congress to get one removed. You still there, Jerry? Yes, sir. Okay, I thought we lost your signal there for yeah, a second. Yeah, went dead there for a minute on my end, too, there. Then it was a radio. I'm sorry. I said, I said, you know, these oak trees are they're beautiful here in Savannah, but you, you have to have an act of Congress to get one taken down. You know. Yeah. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. 
up the trees. You know, they're, they're 250 years old, these trees. They're gigantic. You know, when I rode down there, Jerry, and went through Savannah, it's the first time I'd been in Savannah in probably 25, 30 years. I could not believe how much it has changed up and down through there. It is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. That trip's still the same, isn't it, Bobby? Oh, yeah, it is. Well, it's a little better with the interstate, but, you know, just it's still a long trip. And, and, you know, we got down there. I was actually right by the Civic Center and didn't realize where I was. And uh, we went down. We went down on. Uh, we went down on. I guess it's River Street where they've created that tourist area down through there in cobblestone yeah. streets. Right. I mean that was that was the Bowery last time I was down there, and you didn't go over there unless you wanted to get your throat cut. Oh, they, they, that, that place is just oh, it's, that's a gold mine down there for those people. Mine. Guy had that little parking lot down there, and I seen the sign. It said twelve dollars a space, prepay, and uh, I, it was it was full. Of people waiting to get in there. No, it's just it, it's just a madhouse. It's just it, it, it's absolute madhouse. Hmm. It's a tourist thing now. I'm telling you, it's, it's yeah. I don't even go down there. Well, all the hotels we used to stay at were gone. The the Alamo Plaza is now part of the. I guess that's where the, down there close to where the uh, the uh, I guess where the ships load and unload. Uh, I tried to figure out where the town motel used to be. I couldn't figure out. I think I got close, but I wasn't sure. It's still there. They redid it, but it's still there. Where we used oh, to stay. okay. It's still there. The Alamo's there, and it's more like the real Alamo if you go down there. <laughs> Gunshot-wise? Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, the name of the boarding house where the, they had the uh, the good food? Was it Mama's? Wilkes. Okay. Still there. Still there. They still line up. Jeez. Did you eat there, Bobby? Yes, I did. You know, Duncan ate his last meal there. Yep, years ago. It wasn't the food, but... <sighs> yeah, but it, it, it still does that kind of business uh, to this day. Unbelievable. If you don't get there at 11 o'clock, you're done. Well, I went by... We wrote... We just. We were just... Like I say, we are just riding looking... I went by Paula Dean's. I noticed there wasn't no long line there when we went by. You're kidding. No, there was no line there. We went, I guess it was maybe quarter to four in the afternoon. There was yeah, people was in there eating, but there was no line. Well, that night it would have been. Mm. But someone works out at the gym I work out at. Okay. Nice guy. Very nice guy. Well, look at there. The Falcons just went ahead. Mike, you're not you know, giving your full attention to the show, Mike? Uh, no, I am, absolutely. I'm just, you know, <laughs> I got it on in the background. I'm flipping between it and the Olympics because um, the Braves disappointed me today. You're kidding. Lost, lost 11-3. to 
fact, uh, they've actually been – they were had had a four-game winning streak going into yesterday, and then they lost yesterday or last night, and then they lost today. They had an afternoon game today. But I'm still more impressed with this Braves team than uh, the one from last year. And I think uh, I, th- I, th- I think they're going to be – end up the season much better than people gave them credit for, and I think they're going to start out pretty hot next next season. I'm hoping so anyway. But um, anyway, um, well, we went through uh, – it felt like old times. I went on, a, went on a road trip this past Saturday, Jerry, with uh, my big brother there, Mr. Simmons, and uh, Scrappy McGowan and uh, Randy Corrin and uh, the uh, – World's ambassador to, of, of professional wrestling, Mr. Charlie Smith, and uh, we stopped in your hometown and ate barbecue at the Smoky Pig. And I, I've been missing something all these years. That was a good place. Bobby knows about it. Well, that's who. T- that's who directed. That's the reason they take me because I know how to get to it. <laughs> you, you, uh, well, did y'all get your money's worth? Not there, but on sale. Oh, absolutely. Are you t- well? <clears throat> Saturday night at the wrestling show we went to. That's uh, what I'm talking about. Oh please, I you know, I had, I went because Charlie asked me, and uh, you know I enjoy riding with the guys and talking, but man, I'm just not as young as I used to be. That getting home at four o'clock in the morning, and having to get up at seven, <clears throat> I can't do it anymore. Yeah, that leaves a lot to be desired, doesn't it? Yeah, I just I can't do it. I'm just. I couldn't. I couldn't do it forty years ago. They had uh, they had uh, Robert Fuller was there and Ron Fuller was there and Jimmy Golden was there and they all three wrestled. How much? Uh, how much were they charging at the door, uh, Bobby? Well, I you know I don't know. Probably about ten bucks for ringside, maybe fifteen. I'm not sure. Ringside was full, and they had, they had a decent crowd, but uh, Dennis Gale promotes it, and Dennis is, if you're going to do this, Dennis does it the right way. He's smart. He goes out and sells ad in his in his, in his program. I mean, right. he had like an attorney's firm that had a full-page ad, all these little people buying a little eighth of a page or a quarter-page ad or whatever. So he actually has enough. His goal is to sell his show. But he does it himself. And so whatever he takes in at the door, you know, he, I guess he puts it in his pocket or has to go. So uh, uh, he had a he had a good crowd. I've been down there three times with Charlie, and all three times it's it's been very good crowds. And they seem to be pretty receptive to what's going on. A lot of the talent leaves a lot to be desired, but, uh, you know. Where was the uh, – where, where were they holding the show? Early County High School. And you know, and I'm gonna promise you, I never worked in a high school gym like this. It'll probably hold mm, fifteen hundred, two thousand people. It's air conditioned. It's it's just it's a gorgeous facility. Got an elevator. Uh, yeah, even got an elevator. I got tickled that the, the football coach was there, and I was talking to him, and and I said, "Is that an elevator over there?" And he goes, "Yeah." He said, "That one and the one at the courthouse." Said that's only two elevators in the whole town. So, but it was a you know it was a good facility and it was a good crowd and like I say it was a, they seemed to enjoy themselves so uh, 
uh, we, uh, as soon as the intermission was over, we packed up, or Smitty packed up, we left. So uh, I stayed there long enough to see the Fullers and Jimmy Golden get in the ring just to see what they look like. And, uh, believe it or not, Robert looks better now than he did when he was working 25 years ago. Uh, Ron's still straight up and down, and Jimmy Golden never changes. So uh, we left as soon as they got in the ring. So. Don't know how it turned out, but but Robert was the only one in wrestling gear. He had on a pair of trunks and a pair of boots. Jimmy had on boots, but he had on uh, uh, I don't know what you'd call uh, a pair of uh, flag underwear, I guess. Well, like the red, shorts, white, and blue boxer shorts. <laughs> and then Ron had on the dress pants that he wore into uh, the arena. He had on dress shoes and and, and slacks. Who they work with? Uh, Dennis and uh, Bobby knows the other two guys. A couple of blind guys out of Tampa. They call themselves the Dirty Blondes. They're actually those are actually two pretty good boys. Uh, they're out of Tampa, and they they are uh, they're very serious about about their business, and they they work hard at, at getting better. So uh, I'm sure they had a pretty decent match, but just you know. At some point, you have to say it's time to quit and get a job or whatever you don't do. <laughs> well, I don't think Ron needs the money. At least no. at one point, he uh, he owned a, a franchise, an ADT alarm franchise in, in Tampa, and uh, had the largest, uh, you know, Group of franchisees in, in the whole state of Florida, from one, at one point, as far as what I understand, because he What's was after Ron for? West to come to work for him at one time, but Ron didn't want to move to Tampa. What did Robert do? Uh, I'm sure Ron. He probably worked for Ron. And uh, other than wrestling, I don't know what Jimmy does. He lives in somewhere in Tennessee, but. Uh, I think uh, from the Facebook pictures I see, uh, Robert must make the circuit pretty good on the, uh, you know, uh, giving autograph things at uh, at shows like that. Uh, Yeah, he's just started that within the last year or two. You know, they kind of uh, broke the ice when they came to Mobile in in 2013. That was the first time any of them had – well, Jimmy had been coming fairly regular, but that was the first time either of the, uh, the Fullers had been there. And uh, they kind of broke the ice, and they started making appearances, or at least Robert did, and now Ron's starting to. Um, I think they've been to most of the things that they've had down in Dothan here in the last couple of years. Um, but uh, And uh, everybody's favorite, uh, Chick Donovan, was there. Was he? Did he work? Yeah, oh, he yeah. worked. He could, he could barely walk, but he worked. Wait a minute. Wait a minute now. That's, I don't uh, he could never work. Can... Yeah, he, you know, like Oli, Oli, I quote Oli, some things never change, <laughs> but he got in the ring. Took him a while, but he got in the ring. Did he talk to you guys yeah. like he uh, knew who you were? No, he didn't. Nah, he, he didn't come up We were on the other side of the building. You know, the thing, the thing about Chick is, Chick's 70 years old, and he He's still looks right. darn good. He still works out every day. You know, he looks good. And and I, it's like I told the guy Saturday night. I said we we don't need to blame Chick. 
we need the guy to blame the guy that rings the bell, because if the guy didn't ring the bell, it never would start. <laughs> no, you need to blame the booker. Jeez. Well. You know, there comes, there comes a point, you know, when you get three guys over 60 and one over 70, that's not good. No. Well, the, uh, then, the, uh, the only plus thing with that, Jerry, is you've got, you know, if you think about it, you can't be much younger than that and really have had an understanding about what the regional booking office of business was, you know? Or uh, the business period. I mean, I, I do understand that. But that's, that's, forget that show, you know, it's it's the other groups, you know, I'll call them independents or just guys running matches, you know, that. There's no, there's no. As a matter of fact, there was a guy that I trained, AJ Steele. I don't know if any of you guys ever seen him, Russell. Yeah. Very good. You know, he he was he was probably one besides Janetti and Greg Brown and a couple more. He was one of the most serious ones that wanted to do it, but the wheel had then come off the axle by the time he got rolling, and you know, and you know. I worked with him for a long time and didn't turn him loose. You know, I never turned any of them loose until I thought they were ready because I didn't want them going around saying I trained them and they were like chick or something, you know. Right. But uh, he he did turn out really well, and he called me the other day. We were just talking about some of the shows he goes to. I know I, I, I went down to uh, Dublin, Georgia one night. He wanted me to come down there and watch the matches. and. I tell you how bad it was. I left before he got in the ring, and it, that's how bad the matches were. And you know, he was just telling me about different promotions he works for, how they don't understand. You know, they will hang around out outside the dressing room or go sit out in the audience while the matches are going on, and they hadn't even been in the ring yet. You know, there's no. <laughs> They had no concept, you know. You just if you, if you was to go see uh, the Rolling Stones, now they could have an opening act or two, right? But you don't yeah. see Mick Jagger and, yeah. and uh, Keith Richards. Of course, Keith Richards couldn't find his way back to the stage <laughs> if he went out and sat. And, I'm sure they had to keep the hands on him. But I mean, they don't go sit in the crowd. And, and no. nobody, there's, there's no direction. There's no. The guys putting on these shows, they have no direction. They they don't put on the first class promotion, and I think it's an injustice to say you're going to have wrestling matches there, and the fans probably have more of a clue what's going on than they do. Yeah, it's kind of like that family ta- talent show. You know, you uh, you bring your family to be the audience, and uh, you know, you you do your little five or six minutes, and uh, they think you're great, but nobody else does. But at the same time, who do you judge them by? Because there's nobody left to, uh, you know, to, to judge what the real uh, professional wrestling uh, match was all about. Uh, there's no mystique left if uh, they go out and, you know, talk to everybody and before the uh, before they come out for their match. It's, you know, you're just part of the audience. Well, none of that, but I, and I know the mystique is gone, and, and the cat's been let out of the bag and everything. But but Bobby and I 
looked at each other last last week. Now, they had a guy by the name of Curtis Hughes there that, that Jerry knows, who was uh, uh, got in the business through Harley and was was a fairly well known name back in the the nineties, uh, early two thousands as Mister Hughes. He was a, a bodyguard type, kind of like uh, Ray Trailer did, you know, when he was Big Bubba. But you know, he still has the same gimmick. He he wrestles in in uh, dress clothes and a shirt and a tie with earrings and a pair of sunglasses on. Never takes them off. And I told Bobby, I said, what would Bill Dromo do with a guy coming the ring with a tie, an earring in each ear, and a pair of sunglasses on? How long would that guy have lasted? None of it would be when he left. <laughs> but anyway, you know, he he they were in the next to the last match or third to the well, last start, match. Start with the, when we first got there. Let's build up to this. Okay. Now we got well, yeah, there at two thirty. Yeah. In the afternoon. Okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. You 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 tell this part. Well, uh, two thirty in the afternoon, we pull into school. They ain't a they ain't a soul there. You know, Charlie wanted to get in there early to, you know, get his stuff set up. I mean, it's 2.30 in the afternoon for an 8 o'clock show. There ain't nobody there. Surprise, surprise. But over in the in, in the parking lot under a tree is a Lincoln Continental Town car. Well, we don't know who it is, so we just pull up in front of the school and stop. He drives over where we at. He gets up. He don't know us from Adam. First thing he does is walk up to the van and go, y'all with the show? <laughs> and I went, no. I said, Bubba, I retired a long time ago. <laughs> But he got back his car, went back out of the shade. Now you can go on with your story because it's good. Well, well the, and he also he uh, evidently he runs a school here in Atlanta, so he uh, he came back up and he he posted up this little little eight by ten piece of, of newsprint paper with his advertising his school up on the door, which is where they had the uh, the I guess all the advertising they were doing for the uh, show. Were, were eight by ten pieces of paper po- posted at the school and at the convenience store next door over there where we went over, rode over to get something to drink. But anyway, he sets up his stuff and and everything and, and you know like we were doing setting up the gimmick tables and he's setting up his gimmick table. But back to his match, he was working heel, uh, and finally you know all the other matches leading up to this there hadn't been. Uh, uh, as much as a loud fart out of the crowd uh, in response to anything. And he finally, you know, he, he's a good worker and got, got got his heat real good and got, you know, got over, you know, with the fans and, and had people, you know, wanting to fight him and all that stuff, just like the old days, um, which I don't know how, what that says about the people <laughs> that, that attend these things. But uh, Anyway, got his heat real good, uh, lost his match by disqualification. You know, the fans are, are booing him and everything. He he climbs out of the ring, goes right back to his gimmick table and starts selling gimmicks. Bobby and I looked at <laughs> each other and go, said, isn't this something? That's what I'm talking about right there. And Dennis Gale, poor Dennis, as long as he's been around, he still don't have a clue. He doesn't. I, I'm just telling you. I like Dennis. He's a nice guy. That was the, that was the thing that you know me and Michael. I, this guy actually, and he surprised me because when he got in the ring, he actually got. I mean, it was pretty serious. There was guys, there was guys taking their hats and shirts off and wanting to fight. <laughs> and I thought, I told Michael, I said, finally somebody's got a clue here. It's getting over. 
And as soon as the match is over, he goes straight to the gimmick table and starts selling gimmicks. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you know, he could have had somebody there running the table for him. Yeah. It's just no no concept, just I just uh the WWE was here about two Saturdays ago. When did you come down here last well, last week, Bobby? Uh week ago Saturday, yeah. It was the week before that. Okay. I didn't even know they was in town, so I got to the gym Monday and this girl she took her little brother, a brother, I don't know how old he is. She said, we went to the wrestling match on Saturday night. I said, where? She said, the Civic Center. I said, well, uh, who, what promotion was it? She said, oh, this is WWE. I said, I didn't even know they were in town. And I said, was it full? She said, no, it wasn't full at all. So, but I didn't well, know. That means it wasn't a television taping. Otherwise, they'd have papered it and, and had a full house. According to the Wrestling Observer, on August the 1st, Raw ran a show in Atlanta, and they drew 10,800. So that was probably just a house show that they ran while they were down in this area, and the reason it wasn't televised, so they didn't paper it. Hmm. Well, I don't know how they drew 10,000 people. I like you, Jerry. I didn't even know they were in town. I, I didn't know they were here in Savannah. I did not know it. Usually they do uh, radio. I right. Didn't, I didn't hear anything. I didn't know it. But uh, she was telling me about some matches. She said they were so funny. Uh, uh, funny. <laughs> I thought yeah. the whole thing was funny myself, but... <laughs> It's funny hearing somebody say that. It's sad. I read a lot of websites that uh, people are talking about WWE shows, and they talk about so-and-so that's working for Vince and, all that, and how they're comedy gold. And I'm thinking, that's just that's just a description that none of us would have wanted no, attached to us know. back in the day. It's, Unless you I, were I a midget I wrestler. <laughs> right. I, I really I really don't like to still grow anything. He has nobody over. You know, if he runs if he runs the pay per view, he has to bring in guys that were there before. You know, so I don't know. I don't know. But there was uh, there was a couple of other guys that that worked uh, the semi uh, main event that that uh, it was. Good to see. Hadn't seen in a, in a long time, and uh, were uh, in in still in tremendous shape. Even though neither one of them had any hair left, what hair they did have was gray. But that was Wendell Cooley and uh, Frank Lancaster. They worked uh, worked in tag team matches at the uh, semifinal, and uh, <laughs> the referee was an old buddy, Larry Brock. I don't know if you remember him, Jerry, out of Dothan. I the name. Yes, I do. And uh, he would he would come up to Atlanta and do Atlanta periodically, right, you know, a show here and there. But uh, and uh, but uh, Larry was there, and uh, he was the only one we actually all spoke to. And Charlie Platt showed up. That was that was that made my night. That made the trip worth it to me, because I hadn't seen Charlie since uh, uh, 
the uh, Gulf Coast, the last Gulf Coast reunion that I went to, that uh, he did, uh, he was the uh, MC for that that Hall of Fame thing that, that uh, Bob Kelly uh, did. He do the ring announcement? No, no. I wish I wish they had let him. But no, he showed up about uh, about three quarters of the way through the show and had his had his little portable camera with him. He was going to film some uh, interviews with Ron and Robert. And Jimmy uh, to to feature on his uh, his show um, there in Dothan, and that's that's what he always did when he came to us with the circus. He'd bring his little little uh, camera and he'd he'd film some of the acts and, and interview some people, and then he'd uh, he'd edit the the uh, tape together and, and show it on his uh, television show the next morning. So I'm sure that's what he did. He he ran it on his. Uh, his Good Morning Dothan show on uh, Monday morning, and uh, but he told me that he's working with uh, with Ron and uh, working or proposing and planning on doing a six-hour documentary <clears throat> on the Welch family. And he said that he's talked to a lot of uh, television stations throughout the Southeast that are interested in airing it if they ever get it put together. So I'd I'd love to see that happen. But I don't know how much how much truthfulness will be told about it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, since they were they were still kayfabe until the day they all passed away. But uh, that's, uh, you know you talked about that, talk talk to me about that about how uh, you know close home they were on information uh, that uh, I'd be surprised if there was you know. There was that much to tell, but that much that was actually written down but or, or they, published enough. There's still enough. a lot of story there as far as who, you know, all, what all they did in the business and, and where all they promoted and, and, you know, and how many generations that, that that family went back as far as wrestling and promoting, even without, you know, you know, telling any secrets. And, and right, that's like quite, that. a family, just, quite a family yeah, tree they, if you were to, you know, stretch Put that together. Yeah, twenty-seven, twenty-seven different members of one type or another, and between the cousins and in-laws and everything that uh, that you know were. Is that reunion still going to go off in Dothan? Or is it over? And you mean in Mobile? I mean Mobile. Well, I don't know. I hadn't heard anything, so I, I couldn't tell you. We haven't heard anything since the last reunion, so we don't was know. It, was it Slim Pickens there, buddy? It was really sad. You know, normally, normally on uh, on Saturdays we have anywhere from two to three hundred people there. Best we could count, we had about a hundred thirteen. Uh, how many of those were actually in the business? You know, there was very few, very few of the old timers there. Uh, you know the guys that have, you know a lot of them have died and and a lot of them just don't come back anymore. So it was sad. I mean I've made the comment that uh, I I told the guys I said I don't know why we go. I said because the people that we know and we hang out with when we're down there we can get together up here at the Golden Corral and have lunch in Atlanta and save some money. Same difference, isn't it? So you know it was back when it, when there was honest, a lot of people coming. It was fun. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know. There's you know they've still got a, a, a 
a board of directors and and you know they're trying to do to continue it but the heart and soul of that that reunion is gone kelly's gone joe's gone bowman's gone all the fields are gone you know there's just uh there's nobody left but you run out of people yeah you know, and it's just you know, and and the the ones that are there that are are you know still local guys there that are on the board, they they're doing their best, but you, you know, there's just but you got nothing to work. Yeah, I mean, well, just, they're having uh, a deal in in in. It started out in Dublin, and now it's moved to Dudley uh, Saturday. Uh, they're having a huge thing down there. It's been advertised for the last two months on the internet, and I don't know how much advertising elsewhere they've done. But they're supposedly bringing in about twenty, thirty guys that they're paying to be there. Uh, you know, for a, a meet and greet, autograph session, and then uh, supposedly having some quote unquote wrestling that night. Uh, this, if this comes off. Uh, this is going to be uh, this guy's going to lose a ton of money. Who's he supposed to bring? God, he, uh, Ricky Steamboat, uh, Zabisco, Ole and Arn Anderson, uh, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, yeah, Larry Zabisco, uh, yeah. I mean, he had a whole list. There's a whole list of them. What what well, kind of this party? I don't know what kind of venue they would have there. To put the kind of people you'd have to put in there to at least to even break even, and they're not gonna you you know I mean I just supposedly October first I think it's the date somebody is gonna run that big civic center in Columbus. Uh, they're gonna do it supposedly the NWA promoter from around Atlanta and the one from down around South Georgia is gonna get together and do a joint show. And I and I told uh, I told uh, the people that was telling me about it. There's nobody in the world they can put on a card that's going to draw enough money to even pay the rent in that building. I told Mike Norris that when I was running before I ran. My my workout partner, he used to be on the city council there in Columbus. So he said, let me go. He said, I'll go down there and get all the information. He come back with a sheet, friend. To open the door was ten grand. Yes, sir. Now, wait now. They give you another sheet. Now, this is what you've got to have. I forgot how many policemen it was uh, at such and such an hour. Uh-huh. Minimum of Minimum of, you had to have an ambulance. Had to have a fire truck. You got to pay for all this. Yes, sir. So you're probably looking at fifteen grand now, yes, and sir. you hadn't sold a ticket. Yes, now, I'm going to tell you, I wrestled in that building one time when they tore down the uh, auditorium. I mean, the uh, municipal auditorium there. When they tore that down, they built that civic center there, and they were idiots. They built it too small, little only seat like seventy five hundred or something. If you don't have a ten thousand or twelve or fifteen thousand, you, you can't get big acts, you know, you just yep. can't. So anyhow, this uh Mike Dano out of New Jersey, he put on a uh 
Legends card. He put it on in Columbus, and he put it on in Macon. And he called me and asked me what I wrestled in Columbus and Macon. I said, sure. He told me what he was going to give me. It was pretty good. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. <coughs> so we go down there. I was on the card. Snooker was on the card. Greg Valentine. Honky Tonk was there. Um, he had some more names. I don't know. I worked with Honky Tonk. There was nobody down there. I'm talking about nobody. I'm talking uh, if, if if there was 250 people in there or 200 people, I, I was I'm telling you, I was embarrassed. But we what year was that, Jerry? Uh, what year was that? God, I don't know. I don't know. Then we go to Macon. Now, I've been in that Macon Coliseum as many times as anybody, but they ran it in another part of that building. Did you, did you know about the other part of that building, Bobby? Uh, no. They, yeah, it, they, it, it, it's, it's, it it's got about it, three parts to it now. Yeah, this, this part was pretty big, and that place was packed. Same car that was in Columbus. It was packed. But but that that let me tell you something. Columbus is a funny town anyhow. These these people, if they're serious, are they gonna have any names there? Who are you gonna put in there? That's what I'm asking you. I mean, I don't you know I don't know what you can, I don't know anybody you could put in there. You know, I mean, you might could put The Rock or Steve Austin or somebody in there and draw a crowd, but. There again, if it's fifteen thousand dollars to open the door, and well, you're gonna to have to pay that kind of talent to get them in there. I mean, it's just—I don't understand people. You could rent that city. You could rent that municipal auditorium. You know what the rent was, everybody? I have no idea. Four hundred dollars or ten percent. There you go. That's reasonable. Uh, 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 a fellow like me could back then when I was doing good at the gym and I could have went down there and rented it. Yeah. And have Rose Ogle doing my box office and then work out good. See, that's but like anyhow. the city auditorium in Atlanta because we agreed to take it every available Friday. We didn't pay for $500 a week rent on that building. Greg Brown called and asked <laughs> He and I got to talking one day, and I said, Greg, call, call, call the uh, Georgia Dome. See what? Tell him you're going to put a truck show in there or something, some kind of <laughs> truck show. I think it was like 180 grand. Oh, yeah. No, it's something ridiculous. Can you imagine yeah. you can rent something before you sell one ticket and you're looking at 180 grand? What'd the Omni cost, Bobby? In the in the in the seventies up to, well I left there what December eighty three I think is when I left I think, I can't remember anyway when it it would run it was just like Jerry talked about the base rent just paying for the building the ushers the insurance uh, you know you were looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 
uh, anywhere from fourteen to eighteen thousand dollars. Ain't sold a ticket yet, right? And they sold a ticket. Plus, she had to pay for the police. You know, there was there was other things on top of that. But yeah, it was. You know, yeah, they well, were going to get they were going to get about a quarter of whatever you drew. You know, if you drew a hundred thousand, they were going to get twenty five thousand because it was a there was a percentage there too. See, they charged yeah, you a percentage for printing the tickets. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that people didn't know about. Oh, and when you use Ticketmaster, they get so much a ticket off that. Oh, yeah. See, that was always a Ticketmaster outlet. I mean, the, the, the Omni was. Oh, yeah. You see, like, all those, like in Columbus, that rent is a certain flat fee. And then after, just say you going in and draw, I don't the, the auditorium in Columbus was 400 or 10%, whichever was the greatest. Well, you know that's that way in all these buildings, plus that astronomical flat fee. Yeah. How many would that old auditorium hold? You know, Jerry? 5,000. And I've seen them hanging from the rafters in that old place. But they used to keep that rented all the time. They'd have gun shows, knife shows, uh, this kind of show. But that new thing, you can't afford to rent it. Mm. Can't afford to rent it. Mm. I, I just, you know, if, if if let's just say you go back in the in the seventies and early eighties in our heyday when it was everything was cooking. And let's just say during that time there was a transition from tearing down the municipal auditorium in Columbus, putting in a civic center. Uh of course you always had the Omni and then they built that new civic center thing in uh in Augusta. Yep. Of course of course that that making Coliseum I think Fred Ward got that kind of right running it every week he had to but see, all that. Let's say it all changed. Like, let's just say the flat rate in Columbus for that new building was uh, ten grand for the building plus all the other stuff. You couldn't run that thing every week. No, because you couldn't jack your tickets up that high to run every week. You know, if you're in a town like Atlanta, you got oh, well over oh, I don't know how many in Atlanta now. What two million, two and a half, three? I don't know. Yeah. But, but but you know you got a town like Columbus, two hundred fifty thousand or two hundred seventy five or three hundred now. You can't you know, the astronomical prices. You couldn't run every week. Couldn't do it. Your tickets would have to be too high. So it was that was the time then, and now the, there's another time. I, I don't know how McMahon pays all this rent in these buildings. I, I swear I don't. Well, where did he run Phillips Arena? Uh, that would be my guess. Yeah, he ten thousand people in there. I mean, that's he he come up short. Well, when you run when you when he runs the TV, when he advertises a Raw or a SmackDown taping, people buy those tickets because they know they're going to get the fireworks and all the bells and whistles, and plus they're going to have all the big stars or whatever stars he's got there, you know, for the TV tapings. But like him running Savannah, he probably had five or six matches. They they get. You know, of course, they'll get their music to walk to the ring to, but the fans don't get all the stuff they see on TV. And once they go to one show and they don't get all the bells and whistles, next time they come, they go, well, eh, I ain't going. 
And that's well, what I happened. Not for what the not for what the tickets cost. No, I no. went down there. I went down there two was it two years ago? It was on Sunday afternoon. My workout partner and another guy that he was a city marshal down there at Tybee. They they wanted to go. They kept going. Come on, man, let's go. I don't want to go down there. So we go down there. And, uh, I told them, I said, uh, Yo, when we get down there, I mean, there were people wrapped around this building, I'm telling you. So I said, uh, y'all, y'all just stay with me, man, and just stay behind me. And when I get up to that door, don't say a word. Just don't try to, you know, put your two cents worth in. So we get, we got inside of like a barricade or stepped over. This guy stopped me and said, you were the show? I said, oh, yeah. So we get up to the door. I knock on one of them back doors, side doors, and got a cop open the door. He said, hey, how you doing? He said, you with the show? I said, yes, sir. So we walk in, right behind me, and this somebody back there in the back come up to me. He said, can I help you? I said, yeah. I said, uh, I said, uh, is, uh, who did I ask for? I asked for, uh. Briscoe? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. That's who I asked for. I said, uh, uh, I said, who's the road agent here? I said, is Jerry Briscoe here? I knew he wasn't because I said, Jerry, uh, uh, on Facebook, a message. He said he wasn't going to be there. So I'm sorry. He's not going to be there. So I, that, I just threw that out like I knew what I was talking about, road agent. No, he's not here. I said, who's the road agent? He said, uh, Dean Malenko. I said, how about doing me a favor? And I said, I think I've told you all this story, but. I said, tell him that Jerry Ellis is here to see him. And he come out and we talked. He said, when the last time I saw you? I said, it was in Japan, man. I said, he said, good to see you. I said, look, I said, can we just go up here and sit down? He said, no. He said, y'all just wait a minute. He went up front. He come back with three front row tickets. Wow. Said, I'm telling y'all, they had, stuff, they, had, they had more gimmicks. I'm telling you, they had more gimmicks. Those people, the whole time it was going on, people were just lined up like, 30 or 40 deep the whole time. And they had a thing there where they could take you a picture with any of the, their belts that you wanted to put on or hold over your shoulder or what. I don't know what they took in for that. That place was packed to the rafters. But Cena was there. He worked with uh, Ryback. Is that what they called him? Yeah, I think so. They, they had, it was a pretty good show. It was a pretty good show. It wasn't a TV taping either, but I'm telling you, it was slam. You couldn't have got another one in there. And Malenko told me, he said, I shouldn't put y'all on the front row, so y'all be throwing stuff in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> so when the guys would be like in our corner, we sat, he put us right on the corner. So I was talking to uh, Carney to him. They didn't know what I was saying to him. I swear to <laughs> How, how did that make you feel, Jerry, when you know these guys were making all that money and uh, you were throwing that stuff out to them and they didn't know what you were talking about? How did it make me feel? I just wish I was one of them. <laughs> but you know what? I can honestly say this now. I mean, with all my heart, I can say this. I don't begrudge any of them. Of course, they're not making the money they did at one time, like when Orndorff and you know, when it first really got cranking, Orton Jr. and that crowd was there. You know, they all make money then, but they don't make that kind of money now, I don't think. 
No, they, in fact, the guys that uh, that's in their uh, their NXT or whatever they call their training, their their semi league, uh, they all have to work other jobs. You know, Is that right? And, and yeah, because yeah, you know, and they have a guarantee for the ones that are up, you know, with the big show and and you know on the, the television crews, but then. Uh, <clears throat> their jobs aren't guaranteed. They can let you go in a heartbeat. And uh, in fact, they've just they just cut a bunch of people here not too long ago, and I couldn't tell you, begin to tell you who any of them were because I don't know who any of them are, are to begin with. But uh, they just cut six or seven here within the last three or four months. But see, the only scary part about working up there to me would be. You don't know one minute to the next if you go have a job, and then if you're making fairly good money, when that's over, it's over. Yep. You couldn't go anywhere. I'm, I'm talking about as having a wrestling bag and gear to make anywhere close to that. No. Nope. Because really, what they do is they they bring you up there. They 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 assign you your your character. They copyright your character. They own your character. So even if you right. did get over and they cut you loose, you can't be that person anywhere else because they own rights to it. And that's that's why they do what what they do. And then you know then they 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 don't let the guys develop their own personalities. I mean, back when we were in the business, you know, we weren't characters. We were who we were. I mean, some there were some gimmick guys, but for the most part, everybody was just who they were. You know, just ramped up a little bit. Now they they they'll assign you a character, and if you don't make you know, then I'll find somebody else and put that character on them. It's just like being an actor. Well, it's merchandising, and, uh, you know. Exactly. Merchandising. Exactly, and then you know they 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 drag these guys up with they they. You know, give them six months training or a year training or whatever it is they do. Uh, take them up there, put them on TV, and if they're not over in, in a month or two, then they cut them loose. You know, it's not the guy's fault. No. You know, they just, you know, they don't. You know, it's it's a it's it's a puppy mill. is what it is. It's a good good term for it. They just run them through. You know, it's like country but, music was back in the uh, what I used to call the hat. Hat era, where uh, all the all the big acts wore cowboy hats, and they all sounded the same. And if uh, you didn't work out, they'd get another one look just like you, and, and you know, send them down the road. You know, and that's the way the speaking rest of, hats, of we, is now. Speaking of hats, we saw Clint Black uh, this past Saturday night, and boy, did he put on a great show. Now he was one of the standouts from the Hat era. He he and Alan yes, he Jackson was. and. Uh, Yes, he 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 is. Uh, you know, it's been about uh, I don't know. We saw him at Chastain about uh, ten or twelve years ago, maybe fifteen, and uh, he was just as good Saturday night as he was then. He was just fantastic. We have lost Bobby. I'm hoping he will uh, come back on here in just a second. But you know, since, right. since I've been doing Savannah, I've had several guys, you know, find out who it was or whatever. Man, I, I want you to train me. I said, no, I said. I I don't train guys anymore, and they would not just kind of like leave it at that. And every time I see them, and I I finally told them I said, look, 
you know, if you're good enough and have it, then I can get it out of you. And I said, let's see you do have it. I can't send you anywhere. As I said, where are they going to go? Where am I going to get you any matches? Let's just say I took a kid, real good body, and he had it and listened and learned and trained him for about a year, you know, on a regular basis every week. I'm not talking about every day, but training him and talking to him when you wasn't training and this and this and watch old tapes and just say he had it. Just say he was as good or better than anybody in New York. And I I couldn't get him to New York because he didn't come through their school. Right. And not only that, Jerry, but what you would train him to do, they don't do. So that's that's the problem with when the guys, when Jody had his school and, you know, who was a guy that uh, Danny Davis had had the school that, that uh, Les worked with for a long time? You know, um, they train them how to wrestle and how to how to tell a story. And, you know, they get up there and New York, they don't want all that. They want and you I to hit 42, 42 clotheslines, uh, you know, 15 DDTs, and, you know, a dozen false finishes, and then end the match with a small package. And and you see, and I used some of Jody's guys, and they were very good, very good. And they went up there, and you see them once or twice, never heard from them again. Exactly. And and, you know, and Jody appreciated me using them, you know, because he knew I would run it like he would run it, you know, match right. You know what I'm saying? And 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 and, you know, I've missed out on you know quite a bit of money. I guarantee I could have started, but then, but but what I look at is. I'd be really just stealing their money because yeah, I can get them booked somewhere for what twenty five dollars or fifteen dollars. They come back and shoot. Yeah, them. yeah. And if you really, I mean, couple, if you had two or three good kids that could, it's like AJ Steele. I trained. It, it's a shame. I mean, he, he's a heck of a talent. But you know, I, I would discourage anybody. Well, I'm, I'm gonna become a wrestling go up and make a million dollars, and this, uh, ain't gonna happen. It's no. it's not gonna happen. You know, that's that's like. You know, it's just not going to happen, and it's sad because you know a lot of people want to do it, and but I I, w- I wouldn't put myself in a jackpot like that. I, I just wouldn't. I, I just wouldn't. Even if you still wrong. had contacts in Japan and sent them to Japan, the Japan style has changed so much now. It's nothing. You know, everybody talked about how wonderful New Japan was and how. You know how they were like, like you know, it was back in in, in the the seventies and eighties as far as how wrestling they actually wrestle. I watched two of their televisions. I was so excited that they were going to have a TV contract here in the states, and I, you know, was looking forward to watching their show. Same stuff: flip, flop, jump out of the ring, do this, do that. It's fairly recent, recent. Yeah, recent. Yeah, just within the last yeah, I, year. I, I, Same I, thing I, with Ring of Honor. When you know, Ring of Honor was supposed to be so old school. Not a bit. See, I, I wouldn't know Japan now either of their wrestling. It's not what we did. No, it's not. It's all high spots. Ring of Honor is tightly scripted, very, very scripted from what I've seen. Oh, yeah. Who runs yeah. that? Who was who, the honcho there? I couldn't even begin to tell you. Are they still doing good or so-so? Or? They, they seem to be doing pretty well. I don't, I don't know, know even know if they've. I don't know that. if they're still on TV or not, but yeah, they. Uh, there's a couple of uh, this new network that's uh, runs sci-fi has uh, 
uh, gotten the contract for them uh, for their new series, and uh, it's on, I think, midnight on Saturday nights, plus uh, 36 is still running their older shows at 11 o'clock on Saturday night. So their product's out there. I know Access still runs New Japan, um, the Access TV channel. That's a that's a cable channel, and I don't know how many cable carriers carry that channel. But you know, I and I will say the only the only wrestling that I watch anymore current stuff is I watch Lucha Underground because I I enjoy it. Uh, I know Lucha's not everybody's cup of tea, but you know, to me their you matches make sense. You talk about entertainment. Yeah, and, and but their their matches make sense. They they don't do stuff just to do it. I mean, sometimes they will. They'll get carried away and and you know do a hundred spots in a row that you know when you know five could have told the story. But for the most part, um, you know, and they they still for the most part wear wrestling gear. You know, they don't come out there and kick pads and you know. You know, you know. Mm-hmm. I think when it really, when all of, uh, it really got crazy when ECW hit the scene. Exactly, because that's when, in order to combat that, <clears throat> that's when when uh, the then WWF started what they called the Attitude Area, where you know everybody was was it was all you know. TNA and and uh, flipping people off and swearing on television right, and right, seeing how right. how close to the edge they could skirt and then you know right. because they were trying to compete with ECW and uh, yes and it just it became you know garbage for that point you know it just I don't know and then WCW was still watchable to me until they started all that NWO invasion stuff and I know that was their oh hottest period and that's God. where they oh that's God. where they uh they made their most as far as ratings but they milked that thing until it was a dead horse. That and it was just it was ridiculous. Nothing. The biggest nothing I have ever seen. Exactly. Speaking yeah. of which Bobby's back on the air with us. You there Bobby? Yeah I'm here. Sorry I lost you guys. <laughs> well, we've had some serious conversations since you left. That's right. Well, I, so I, got, I, got maybe... the NW, I got the NWO thing there. That was. I'm glad I missed most of that. Well, you, uh, we thought you'd gone to sleep I, on us again. No, no, no. I'm. I uh, uh, actually, I had to flip over. I had one of my church members call. I was making sure nothing was wrong. And when I came back, it was gone. So I had to redial. So sorry. But it, all right. It, uh, you know. You, they were trying to revive a dead horse anyhow, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah. But what's Hogan doing now? What, what, what's he doing? He's I, spending he's all his money for this that, lawsuit. Yeah, I was going to say, if he's smart, he'll disappear. He's in negotiations, I heard or read yesterday, with the owner of that publishing company trying to work out some settlement. Because the publishing company, the magazine, the publishing company, whoever it was that, that he won this lawsuit against, uh, they've all bankrupted. So he's not going to get the big money he thought he was going to get. But he's going to get no money. That's what I figure. He'll get nothing. Yep. Nothing from nothing is well, nothing. Yeah. Well, there's a man. There's a man. 
he, I guess, I guess in reality, he probably may want anybody ever put on a pair of trunks. I would assume. Uh, and if he's not fixed, I'm sorry. Exactly, and I, I feel the same way about Flair. You know, same thing. And I, I, I don't know how he's surviving. I really don't. I, I, I just don't know. And he's about to get married again, so you know, a fool and his money. <laughs> Our food? Wow. <laughs> yes, and, and a yeah. fool that has no money. I mean, I, you know. Well, you talk about Hogan. I, I, this, you know, I kept in touch with Barnett, you know, for a good while. Well, I got back. I talked to him three days before he died. I would talk to Jim. Uh, Jim was good to me and my family, and uh, uh, I had nothing against Jim. And I, and I, I just, uh, he. Uh, he called me after he left here. He went to work as a controller for, for McMahon. And he called me just before Christmas. Uh, and I can't remember. If it was probably the, the year and a half after we had left here. Or two years, maybe. I can't remember. But he called me and he said, he said, Mr. Bobby, he said, I am about to write the biggest check I have ever written a wrestler. And I said, really? I said, how much is it? And he said, $1 million. And, and I said, my gosh. I said, who in the world is making that kind of money? And he said, it's for Hulk Hogan. And I said, geez. And he said, funny part is, this is just his royalties on the cartoons and the gimmick sales. This is not including what, what he made wrestling. And I year. believe it. And listen. And how many, I'm not saying every check he got was a million bucks, but how many of those royalty checks and T-shirt checks did he get that was probably no telling what? We didn't make a million dollars in our entire career. And, you know, we we were able to survive. And, you know, I mean, hey, I'm not rich by any means, but I'm sitting here with a roof over my head and I'm watching TV and I'm very happy. And these guys got all this this money and and they're just, you know, they got nothing. The uh, the lawsuit on Hogan was 140.1 million, and of course uh, that was the judgment, and they've tried to get it brought down, and and the judge won't do that. So as uh, uh, we just mentioned, uh, the outfit that owes the money is going out of business, and uh, so who knows what Hogan will end up with? Not a <laughs> not a thing. Funny thing about those corporations, they'll bankrupt that corporation. They'll reorganize under a new name, be doing the same thing today, if not tomorrow. And, and you know, life goes on. Right. I don't know. It's just... I just... We just all came along too late, but you know what? If, if we if we'd have been or, or during this era, none of us would have probably lasted. We had too much sense, I guess. Well, I wouldn't have been interested in, you know, I wouldn't have been yeah, interested in it. That's probably true of all of us as well. Uh, speaking of which, uh, we've got a, a new caller on the line. Uh, uh, that uh, Mike wanted to get on tonight, uh, Melissa Tillery. Let's see if I can uh, get her on here. Hold on just a second. 
This Been is Charlie for a while, Smith, Melissa, are you there? number one fan. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay, go right yeah, ahead. Yeah, Melissa is our, uh, our new correspondent from the uh, Wiregrass area of <laughs> Alabama. She walked up and, and introduced herself to Bobby and I down in Blakely the other night, and she recognized us from, from the radio. Because everybody said that Bobby and I have faces made for radio. So. You got that right. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did it? Did, let me let me ask you. How did did you stay through the whole show the other night, Melissa? Yes, uh, uh, yes it did. Did they did they work a double turn during the main event? Did Robert turn uh, on Ron and Dennis turn on his his partners? Um. Well, you know what I saw. You know, uh, Robert convinced uh, the 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 blondes to wrestle with him, and then Dennis and Ron and Jimmy were teaming up. Oh, okay. And they, yeah, and oh, y'all didn't stay. Y'all didn't watch. Y'all didn't stay for the. <laughs> no, we had a we we had a five hour trip trip ahead of us. Oh, I was I was wondering how long did it take y'all to get down there. Well, normally it's about four, but when you stop at the Crystal and it takes 45 minutes to get an order of crystals, <laughs> it's five hours. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we found the we found the happening spot in Columbus, Georgia, on on Saturday nights at one o'clock in the morning, and that's the Crystal. <laughs> yeah, I was in Do- I was already in Dothan, and because uh, I had gone to the Oak Ridge Boys concert that Friday night, and. Uh, so it didn't take me but like 25 minutes to, to get from Dothan, or 25, 30 minutes to get from Dothan to Blakely. It wasn't a bad, you know, wasn't a bad drive. But that's, uh, the, the, what do you think of the show? Well, if you would ask me, was it professional wrestling at its finest, I'd have to say no. Um, but I will say to me, uh, it's like Rick Flair that, that you know he calls these wrestlers today weekend warriors. I think that, you know that's what I call them myself. I just think that they just don't have enough. Just like whenever Wendell Cooley was in there wrestling, uh, whoever he was wrestling, it just seems like Wendell he can't bring out his wrestling abilities because the other his opponent doesn't. You know he he can't wrestle as good as Wendell. That's just the way I see it. Well, that's that's they, another they advantage from back in back in our day when we worked in territory. You tend to work with a guy a lot of different times, and you got yeah. to where it's just like anything else that you do. He's your partner in the ring, and you guys work yeah. out things and and everything. Jerry, who who did you probably wrestle most often in your career? Hmm. Mm. That's hard to say. Uh, Russell Murdoch, I don't know how many times. Carl Cox, I don't know how many times. Waskowski, because Waskowski was in Kansas City the whole time we were there. And then when I went to Oregon, he was there. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, you know, but but don't you find it? Was, didn't you find it easier when you worked with somebody that you would work with often enough that, that it came? But just kind of became second nature. Well, not really, to me. Not really. If the guy could work. It didn't matter, you know. It, it, to me, it didn't. As long as you, know, you understood, you were both on the same page as what what spots you were doing, right? Right. You better be. <laughs> but, but I, you know, that 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 never bothered me. Like when you go to Japan, you know, is or go to Detroit. I mean, it's it's almost a self defense thing. There, you know, trying to take care of yourself. 
And since, you know, since we don't have wrestling, you know, every week like they did back in, South, in the Southeastern days, I mean, you, I'm down here in Alabama where I live, we don't have indie wrestling every week. Um, there's, no, there's no shows going on. So I yeah. can keep up with this with these particular wrestlers, you know, that, you know, w, uh, 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 Dennis had over there. I know, you know, a few of them that he used back at the reunion, but there are some of them I've, I've never seen in my life. And to your point, you know, when when somebody like uh, Wendell or, or Frankie Lancaster working with guys that they'd probably never seen until they got in the ring with them or yeah. back in the dressing room, you know, and you can't – you can walk yourself through and talk through a match for two hours in the dressing room, but until you get in the ring yeah. and and see what they're able to do, you have yeah. no clue whatsoever. And That's you've right. got – you know, you've got – You've got twenty five, thirty years worth of experience like those two guys did, and they're in with guys who, you know, who may have been in the business five years and had a grand total of thirty four matches. You know, there's yeah. a big difference. But here's the thing about yeah. that too. Also, Wendell Cooley. You know, I've never been around him, or heard of him, of course. But when was the last time he wrestled? What kind of shape was he in? He I was mean, in really. good shape. He was. He actually was shape. in pretty good shape. But, you know, here, here's something else, too, and this is something I've heard Jerry talk about, and it is oh so true because it was true when you were refereeing or you were wrestling or whatever you were doing. You can have all the ability in the world. You can know all the moves. You can know how to do them. You can know this, that, this, that. But if the timing's not there, if that right. mental clock is yeah. not there to be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, or what you're supposed to it, it don't work. And that was, that's this was the case here. You could see it was very obvious to me and to anybody else that had ever been in the business these guys, you know, they they know how to do it. They they just don't know. There's no timing. You know. Here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing about it. Uh, you say Wendell shape. Uh, Wendell Cooley was in shape. You you say he looked good, right? Yeah. yeah. How good a wrestling shape was he in? That's, that's, that's a totally I, different I, I question. Worked, I walked out today when I left that gym. I was soaking wet. My that's shirt you could wring it out. But I'm not no wrestling shape. My air no, wouldn't like, be there for that. Yeah, just like you whenever know? Ron Fuller and Jimmy Goldberg were in the ring, I could tell that, you know, Ron Fuller was breathing, breathing kind of hard because I know it's been 30 years since he's been in the ring. He breathed hard 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ron was so tall that the, uh, the you know, with the altitude, the air was thinner up there where he was, you know, so. <laughs> well, that, it, Bobby would mention referee. There was a uh, we were sitting there. We were all sitting at the table, lined up, and uh, Charlie was on one end. I was next to Charlie, and then Scrappy and Bobby, and then Randy were all next to me. There was a referee in there, and he did something. And I looked, and both Charlie, Scrappy, and Bobby all said, "Move to the left of the hill, you dummy." <laughs> <laughs> said it in unison. <laughs> well, you know, if, if you're in a singles match, it still takes three. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're not in a tag match, or if you're in a tag match, you still got to have that number five guy. I don't care. And if you got one of the – I almost beat a guy, a referee to death one night in L.J., Georgia. He didn't know I was doing it to him. He was a referee. That you, you, that's the worst referee I've ever seen. He might have, I never saw him after that 
Mike. No worries. I kicked him, I punched him. I mean, he would he would get all over you. You couldn't throw a punch. You couldn't throw a drop kick. You couldn't do nothing. <laughs> he was like a leech. <laughs> kicked him in the head. And he, didn't, he didn't even know what was going on. He didn't know I was doing it on purpose. He wouldn't have had to work. He wouldn't have had to be in the ring with Tim Woods, but one time he didn't know he was supposed to get in the corner and get out of the way. <laughs> well, I thought that's what he was eventually doing, thinking I was retarded or something, but he just stood there and took it. Oh, God. Oh. Well, Duffy, you can, have, you can have two talented guys in the ring that know what they're doing, and if you don't have that a referee that's that can you know, be do his part properly, that, that, that'll that blow a match quicker than anything. I've mean, I, 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 I different places, flying to somewhere, like wherever. I've never seen this referee before, and I don't know how he's refereeing before. I tell him, look, stay out of my way. Stay out of my way. I've <laughs> seen him. You, you go to do a spot, and there he is. When you, like, the guy go drop down, he's standing right there as you jump over the guy. All that kind of stuff, man. <laughs> And Larry Brock, he was a referee in Fuller, Fuller's match. And uh, I thought Larry had retired from refereeing because, you know, they gave him this big retirement plaque in Dothan, and it just surprised me to see him. He did. Well, we were talking to Larry. He came over to uh, see all of us, and and, uh, he said that that he kept telling Dennis no, and Dennis kept calling him, so he said he finally gave in. And he said then when he found out Ron and Robert and Jimmy were going to be there, he decided he would do it. And then, uh, well, God love him. I'm glad he worked because he needs some new pants. And he had on drew up in the dryer. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, yeah. I remember when when Larry uh, Larry had dark hair and weighed 120 pounds. Yeah, I can remember how Ron Fuller used to throw him over the ropes. He was so skinny back then. Larry would even he would even wrestle every once in a while. If you find any old southeastern tapes and, and uh find a guy by uh a, a wrestler under the mask called the Invader, that was usually uh Larry. Oh, okay, I never knew that. Yeah, Larry would wrestle. There was also another guy that was a deputy sheriff. He always wrestled as the superstar with the okay. white mask and the red red uh tights with the stars on them and his name was um Oh, what was his name? He was he was a deputy sheriff. He worked with Tarzan Baxter, who was the wrestling pro in in the Dothan area for years with Lee Fields and a little bit with Fuller. But he he did the gimmick as he and Dick Dunn were the superstars in Tennessee, and he used uh, he trained this guy and and gave him his outfit to wear, and he would wrestle as himself on television. And uh, during one match, and then two or three matches later, he'd be back on television under the hood as the, as the superstar. And I swear I can't remember his name to save my life. It was, I want to say it was was Roy or Ray. Ray, uh, oh, I can't remember his name, but his name was Ray. Good guy, good guy. He, there again, he was just he was a hard worker. He just never had had size. But uh, what? One of my friends, uh, Michael Callaway, he was over there Saturday night, and he gave me he gave me some old uh, Southeastern DVDs, and I just hadn't had the time to, to look through them yet. So maybe I'll find some good matches. I'm sure you will. Yeah, Mike, uh, Lord, I've known Mike for seems like 20 years. I used to call him Milkman because he used to work with the dairy. 
okay. there in Dothan for a I long time. The first time I met him was back uh, in May at the reunion in Dothan. He's a good guy. He he's just moved back to Dothan there recently. He moved somewhere and I can't remember where it was he had moved to, but he's just he was telling me the other night that he'd moved back to Dothan. But uh Yeah, I've known Mike a long time. He goes back all the way back to the Lee Fields days. Rock the Lee Fields, Rocky McGuire days of Dothan. Yeah, he told me he always went to the uh, T V tapings uh in Dothan. Well, they well back uh, up until '77, the the, the uh, Dothan matches were live. We, they they filmed them at, at four o'clock in the afternoon. They were always live. Yeah. yeah. And then they went to uh, in '77 they switched to videotaping, and then when Ron Fuller came in, they continued taping in there. Um, yeah, we taped them. Well, I don't know what. Nine ten o'clock in the morning. I used to leave Birmingham early in the morning and drive down to do the TV tapings, and then we'd go to uh, what was it, Bobby? What was it? That uh, J.C. Penney's or Sears store or something? I'd go to we'd Sears. To, I'd go over to the Piccadilly and eat lunch or Morrison's, and then I'd go to Sears right. and watch the show. Watch the and show. Then yeah. Go to and New Brock. Then do the, the, well. When I was doing it, they the house show Dothan was the house show. Um, they drove, they I, were not. I drove by the OTV studio uh, when I was on my way to Blakely Saturday, and um, and uh, about a month before uh, that, uh, one of Michael's friends, uh, we got closer uh, to the TV studio, and you could tell the roof had fallen in. It's in it's in bad shape. Yeah, I was down there in 2012 with the circus, and uh, we uh, we we set up at the at the farm center there in the in the parking lot. But I was there. A month ahead of time doing the marketing, and I uh, I drove out to where the old TV studio was and, and took pictures and everything. When I first first time I ever went to uh, do TV down there, they told me I I had asked how to get there, and they said, "Well, just because you know uh, Dothan's got a perimeter around it, similar to Atlanta, except it's about a third of the size." And they said, "Just just depending on which way you come in on on the loop." Either get to the aluminum pig, turn left, or get to the aluminum pig and turn right. And sure enough, that's what I did, and that's how I found it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, that was a neat little studio down there. Yeah, so much scoop. All right, Jerry. I'd like to see that, Jerry. That'd be good, guys. All right, take care. Right, be good night, Jerry. Bye-bye. All right, good night. But, uh, I never got the chance to uh, go to any of the TV tapings, or I, I never got the chance to go down to the farm center either. Whenever they were still wrestling down there, that was a that was an interesting building with the dirt floor and all that stuff. It was. I always worked heel when I worked there, so we had the tiny ba- bathroom for for dressing room. The heels had, a, I mean, the baby faces had a better dressing room, from what I understand. But. Uh, that was the hottest building I think I ever worked in. Yeah, I always heard it was hot. The only time I ever went to the wrestling matches when it was it would come around Troy about once or twice a year, and I think I went like four or five times. Because my parents, my parents thought it was just too far to go to to watch a wrestling match in Dothan. How far is Troy from Dothan? About about sixty miles. 
I'll give you anything if I could have went down there during that time. Well, back in Lee Fields' day, they ran uh, they ran Dothan, Op, New Brockton, all right right there yeah. in that, every that week. general area. Yeah, yeah, every week. Uh, well, no, they only ran Op whenever Dothan wasn't available. Yeah. And they would run. Uh, they New ran. They ran New Brockton on Saturday nights and ran uh, Dothan House Show on Friday nights, Dothan TV Saturday uh, afternoon in uh, the New Brockton that night. And that was after they qu- they dropped Quincy. Quincy was the regular Saturday night run there up until about uh, 76 or 77, then they moved to New Brockton. Yeah, I always liked it whenever they had it at the TV studio. It just, it, I still watched it once they moved it to Birmingham, but to me it just wasn't as good because the fans were so close to the ring, and I just missed that. It, it's hard to to film, you know, in a, in a big big building like that because you can't get the lighting and you don't have the intimacy yeah. and everything. And, and, no, and you everything. don't. And see, that's the same thing that, that killed Mobile. When they lost their television, they used to do television out of Pensacola. And then uh, in 76, they lost their their contract with the TV studio in Pensacola, so they started taping the Mobile House show. And and then they split it up into two or three different weeks of of television. And it just just wasn't as good because the production just wasn't as good. And the atmosphere, I mean, it was great live, but watching it on television, it just wasn't, wasn't there. The only big building like that that really, really got over well in Pensacola, I mean, in, uh, on television, was the, the that building in Columbus where Fred Ward taped. That always looked great. Well, Fred, Fred had a Fred had a TV set up there. He yeah. had TV lights, so he had his ring lit. Uh, he had he had multiple cameras. Uh, it, it was it was basically a TV show, and it was done live. It was just done in a building that would hold, I don't know, fifteen hundred, two thousand people, and he charged a dollar a piece to get in, and uh, he generally, I mean, it was generally pretty well full on Saturdays. Yeah. And I grew up watching just a little bit of Georgia Championship Wrestling because uh, back then we didn't have cable because we lived out in the country and cable didn't come out in the country back then, and we had one of those antennas you had to run outside, to, you know, to turn. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So we could watch. We we would watch it on WRBL in Columbus every now and then. We could get a pretty good picture. And that would have, yeah, that would have been Fred's Fred's show. Yeah. Yeah, we were by WRBL on uh, Saturday as we were leaving Columbus. We went by there. I pointed out to the guys. It's still there, but we never never went to the studio. Like I say, it was always done live in in Fred's. Uh, uh, arena down on uh, Front Street, 1028 Front Street. Did he keep the tape of those shows, Bobby, or was it just after you did the show it was gone? Who knows? <laughs> he taped the shows because he cycled them into, uh, into Albany, and he also, uh, uh, after we quit doing live TV in, uh, in uh, uh, Macon, he started using that. And, I mean, there was there were several things we did over the years uh, we used to do a TV show in Atlanta on Tuesdays at Sports Arena. 
Mm-hmm. And there would be multiple announcer tables. There would be one for Savannah, one for Columbus, uh, you know, and they would do these things and cycle them that way. But, yeah, I'm sure Fred made some copies. Uh, th- there's always been speculation uh, as to if there's any around. If there are, if they are, uh, Ralph Reed has them. And uh, we've heard he's afraid to turn them loose because he's afraid New York would sue him. But uh, New York, New York wouldn't own any of that stuff. Uh, but you know, I, I don't know. So there may be, there may not. It's kind of one of those. You hope there's something out there, but there may not be. Yeah, because Fred Ward Productions wasn't. Well, Fred Ward Promotions was not part of Georgia Champion. I mean, they were they were Fred, partnered Fred was with a them, stock but they holder. were not. They were yeah, but they but, were not but, part of that you know, deal. No. I was saying it would have to be the Ralph or, or Leon Ogle that would would have any of that stuff if any of it existed. Yeah, Leon, Leon, Leon sold quote unquote what he had to Chuck Thornton. Right. But there was no videos there. There was no tapes, and Ralph was the TV guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the two, Leon was the better. You know, if there is such a thing. Uh, wrestling, uh, you know, the, if there was a wrestling person there, it was Leon, uh, because Leon did get in the ring. He refereed. He wrestled. You know, he booked for Fred. But the 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 TV person was Ralph. So <clears throat> I'd like to think there's some stuff down there somewhere. But you know, Ralph lost his wife two years ago or a year and a half ago. He lost his daughter last year. I'm not sure how much family he's got. I'm not sure what if it's even exists. What would happen to it when something happens to Ralph, or if it does? You know, just don't know. Got mm. well, one gold mine that would be. You. I'm sorry, let's go ahead. Um, I was letting you know. I was going to let y'all know. It's been nice talking to y'all, and maybe I'll run into y'all. You too. Somewhere. Good to meet you the other night too. Yes, it was nice meeting you. And I'm going to continue to uh, listen to y'all on, on the podcast. I'll, I'll right. watch, listen to y'all. All right. All right. And, Sounds uh, good. Well, thanks for calling in. Spread it, around, in spread it around, Melissa, that uh, these guys have uh, faces to go with those voices. Okay. I'll do that. <laughs> I'll tell Sean to see if I say hello. Uh, he's listening, so you just told him yourself. Okay. Uh, good night. <laughs> good night, Melissa. Good night, Melissa. Okay, continuing... Uh, uh, along that uh, frame, we've uh, uh, Dennis Mitchell's been holding for about 25 minutes, so we're going to put Dennis Mitchell on. You there, Dennis? Uh, we're we're yes, circling. Sir. You there, you? Dennis? Yeah, guys. How y'all doing tonight? It's a good show. I'm glad to right. hear Melissa. She's I don't a, know what you call in on, Dennis, but you've always got the clearest signal of anybody that comes on uh, comes on the air here. I mean, it's just like you're sitting right here in the studio. Oh, guys, I appreciate that. Well, guys, before I <laughs> Before I get into wrestling and all, I want to. I got a pop culture question. I know Jay's Wes's background's in country music and all. I was wondering what are y'all's music tastes, especially for Bobby and Michael, when y'all was growing up. What music did y'all listen to, and who's y'all? Was there is there a musician that you always wanted to meet that you never got to, or was was there any that you met that you was disappointed in meet in person? You didn't think they were as nice as they thought. They should have been to you, or was there? Who was the most humble entertainers? 
Bobby and Michael's ever met. I'll let you start with that, Bobby. Uh, I was a top 40 guy coming up, growing up through school, I guess. You know, I, I, uh, I guess my favorite act in high school was Three Dog Night. And, uh, yeah. Saw him many, many times. Um, got to see Elvis in person a few times. Um, yeah, I, I like all kinds of music. I love the old. I love oldies music from the seventies. I love, uh, I love gospel. I love southern gospel music. I love country music. As long as it's the old stuff, I'm not much into this new stuff. Uh, yeah. So, but you know, uh, I, I kind of keep. I'm drawing a blank on people I've met. I've met a lot of people, but I'm drawing a blank. Uh, uh, well, Bobby, have you ever met Hank Williams Jr.? Never met him. Never met him. Uh, I well, I spoke well. I say I have never met him. I guess yes, I did. We went to we had to do some interviews in Columbus, Georgia. Me and Tommy Rich and Nick Patrick and a friend of mine was riding with me, and we got down there. And when we got down there, we found out that Hank was playing the the auditorium that night. So we decided yeah. to go over there, and we went over there. And the drummer David Allen Coe was the opening act, and the drummer for David Allen Coe was from Atlanta and he recognized Tommy and Nick and we got in and we were we actually did yeah, I did shake his hand and say hello but uh we were got stage passes that night and we're backstage for a show but that's saying I met him it was just a just a quick hey how are you? Of course you know you probably know this guy that Hank Williams Junior is a big wrestling fan. And was this a concert when y'all went to Bobby? Is that the one where Tommy Rich Talk with Steve Carino on the shoot interview that Steve did with him when Tommy Rich got kicked out of the concert because he was drinking too much. Or he was drunk and he was trying to get on the stage and it was yeah it was I don't know if he got kicked out or not but yeah it was could be I'm sure it's the same what night. What about you, Michael? <laughs> well, like Bobby, growing up, uh, I was top. There was two things that, that mattered to me that that the, that everything had to stop when they came on, and that was it, uh, wrestling at ten o'clock on Saturday night, and Casey Kasem's top forty at ten o'clock on Sunday morning. And Bobby and I uh, both still listen to uh, the Sirius Radio seventies on seven runs the, uh, the repeats of the uh, Casey Kasem's uh, American Top Forty on Saturdays and Sundays, and we both tend to listen to those but i listened to a lot of that stuff and then in uh in 1976 my world changed because i discovered bruce springsteen and uh he's been my favorite act ever since i've seen him live probably a dozen times along with other things but then i uh i but to this day i listen to all kinds of music um, like Bobby, when I listen to country music, I listen to Hank and Willie and Johnny Cash and you know Waylon Jennings, and I don't I don't go for the I couldn't tell you uh, Trace Atkins from Keith uh, Urban from anybody else right now. They all sound the same to me. But yeah. uh, um, but then uh, in the uh, early '80s, I started listening to. Uh, blues and jazz, and if I had to be stuck on a, a desert island, I'd take blues and jazz with me because that's just that's what I listen to mainly now. But uh, I was actually in the music business for a while, um, both as a uh, as an engineer and uh, as a a um, artist management. Had my own artist management company briefly, and that was like babysitting grown children. 
Uh, uh, don't take offense to any of this, Jay, since you were a former musician. I did that myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did it as far as with wrestlers, and I did it with, with musicians. Yeah, I, they uh, called uh, it the wrestling business when I did it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would, you know, I would struggle to get a band booked, and then next thing you know, they fired the bass player, and they can't make the gig, or the or the drummers quit, and all that. But uh, I, uh, as far as who I've met over the years, <clears throat> I became associated with um, a very dear gentleman who, who became my godfather by the name of uh, Bobby Bird. And um, if that name sounds familiar, if you've oh, ever yeah. heard the song, ever heard the song "Sex Machine" by James Brown, the second uh-huh. voice on there that's, that's singing the "Get On Up" part, that's Bobby Bird. Well, Bobby Bird actually discovered James Brown. And helped him get out of a uh, youth prison in <clears throat> Tacoa, Georgia. Took him into his home, and uh, James joined uh, what was then Bobby's gospel group called the Flames. Well, they were called the Gospel Flames at that point. Then they became the Famous Flames and started doing secular music. Uh, yeah. Bobby wrote uh, their first hit was a song called "Try Me," which Bobby wrote. But when the song got released, since the, that was one of the few songs that James sang lead on, Bobby sang lead most of the time, but when they recorded that song, James Brown sang lead on it. And so when they released the album or the song, it came out as James Brown and the Famous Flames, and it went straight mm-hmm. to James's head, and he took over the act. <laughs> But, uh, but Bobby and I was Bobby and I wrote stuff together, and we were at at one point uh, in the process of trying to start our own record label. And uh, Bobby, uh, every summer he couldn't he couldn't find much work in in the states, so he would tour Europe and Japan and places like that. Well, we had. Uh, or he had saved up, uh, been saving up for years, all this money to start his own record label, and I was going to be his uh, vice president of A and R. And yeah. uh, they had a childhood friend from Houston keeping, uh, keeping, ta- or taking care of their house one tour. They went on Japan or a tour of Japan one summer. This guy's name was Abner, and they had left him access to their bank account so he could pay their bills oh, no. while they were out of town and everything. And when they got back, he cleaned them out. Now, this is somebody that they had known for 40 years. That's all. But he saw his opportunity, and he wiped wiped them out clean, and uh, they went our record label. So, yeah, but, uh, um, but through him, I met a lot of people. I met, uh, met Curtis Mayfield. I met uh, Macy Hill Parker, Fred Wesley, Pee Wee Ellis. Uh, Sinclair Pickney, a lot of the guys uh, it, that, that played with James Brown. I never met James in person. I talked to him on the phone because he wanted me to write some lyrics for him and uh, for some stuff he was wanting to record, which uh, I did, but then Bobby said, you're wasting your time because he can't remember lyrics. That's why he screams all the time in his songs. <laughs> because he can't remember lyrics. Um, uh, talked to Bootsy Collins on the phone. Bobby was up <clears throat> recording some um, stuff in Cincinnati where Bootsy lived at Bootsy's recording studio, and he he wanted to do um, 
do a cover version of uh, the, the Prince song that Sinead O'Connor had the hit with, uh, Nothing Compares to You. So um, he had me write the, the lyrics out to him and, and fax them to him at Bootsy's place. So I had talked to Bootsy on the phone to get all the information to where to send it. But uh, he just I, the, probably one of the, the best times I ever had was sitting at Bobby's house. Bobby's wife, Vicki Anderson, was also a... Uh, a singer, um, well known in the '60s, and she was part of James Brown's band, but also did some solo stuff. But um, I was at Bobby's house <clears throat> one one Saturday evening, and, and his wife Vicky, along with Martha Hyde, Lynn Collins, Marva Whitney, and there was one other young lady, Lynn Collins. I said Lynn Collins. They were all there, and we sat around, and uh, Bobby played the piano, and they sang gospel songs. It was one of the best nights I ever had. Just listening to all them, all those ladies had worked worked with James Brown. In fact, uh, they all, most of them, the ones that are still alive, still still tour. Martha High still tours Europe all the time, and, and you know, as a singer. And uh, so I met a lot of people through through Bobby. But then independently, I've I've met Jane, uh, met BB King, met uh, Aaron Neville, met Alan Toussaint, um, yeah. met Cher. Uh, when I, I was actually sir, worked as Cher's bodyguard when she did a perfume launch at Macy's, and uh, so you know I've yes, met a lot of people through music. But uh, I had two loves in my life growing up: the music, music and wrestling. And I tried both of them and, and uh, couldn't make <laughs> make a living at either one of them. But uh, but I gave it my shot and and yeah. met some great people along the way and. Uh, well, that's good, man. So. I, I was going to ask you too, but, uh, Michael. Did you did you ever get a chance to meet any any of the Beatles? No, never met any of those. Um, I met uh, you know when I worked for Macy's. Uh, you know, I always served as security because of my size and my background. And everything they always, whenever they had anything to do with celebrities, I met Smokey Robinson, met Tom T. Hall. They both were doing. Uh, had books out and had did book signings. Um, that was so quite a combo, Smokey Robinson and Tom T. Hall. Well, they were at different times, but we had. Uh, <laughs> but I met both of them and met uh, David Brinkley, met Elizabeth Taylor, and worked with all of them. You know, as far as doing security and everything. The funny thing, Smokey Robinson was a blast. He, uh, we were. I was standing behind him. He was at the table signing signing his books and everything, and they were lined out. I, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm sure Bobby and Jay, you've been to the what was then the downtown Macy's. You know, sure. they had the, the the basement floor with all the housewares and the the, mm-hmm. the uh, bakery and all that stuff was was called the cellar. Well, we set him up in the book department, which was at the far end of the cellar. They were lined up all through there out onto Ella Street to see Smokey Robinson. And, I mean, these were young, beautiful women. And I looked at him, and I said, look at this mess. And he said, what? I said, all these young women coming here to see your old self. And he said, yeah, man, ain't it great? (laughs) (laughs) But Smokey Robinson, if you ever want to get in contact with him, go to uh, the Find a Grave site. He's a nut on that site. He's on there all the time on that website posting flowers and, and little, you know, saying things about different people that are whether they're well known or not he just seems to be addicted to that website but yeah, um, 
about that. That's great, Michael and Bobby and Jay and well, let me let me just throw a couple of names in there since Mike has been so prolific with this. When I was about eight years old, uh, first guy that ever you know excited me was uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, and uh, I just uh, thought he was the wildest guy there was. And uh, I met him in uh, the early '70s. Uh, this is you know when he was hot in the country music business, and he played a place downtown called the Playroom, which. Uh, uh, was the place to play in Atlanta at that time for country acts. And this was before Charlie Rich uh, became a multi-million dollar star. Charlie was uh, was playing there as an opening act, and Jerry came down to see him. And uh, Charlie and, and, and Jerry got on stage and played together. And this was this was unbelievable. And because uh, Charlie Rich had come out of the R&B uh, you know, type music, wow. uh, uh, going into country music. And I got to see both of those guys that night. And Jerry was the same guy, whether he was, uh, you know, down at the bottom or he was at the top. He was just Jerry Lee Lewis. And I always enjoyed his music. Uh, one of the guys that was, uh, you know, that was a major star that I introduced at the city auditorium for WPLO uh, was Conway Twitty. And he was one of the nicest people you could ever want to meet in your life i mean he you know he as big a star as he was at that time with hello darling and the songs that he had out i mean you know you it was just like talking to just anybody on the street he he had no no star reflection on himself whatsoever and uh, he he was really 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 a nice guy one of the acts that i really enjoyed was the righteous brothers and uh, bill medley and bobby hatfield and I remembered them from the Shindig days. This was back when I had my rock and roll band back in the 60s. And I always liked their music. And I saw them several times uh, uh, on up into the 90s. And it was a really big shock for me when uh, Bobby Hatfield uh, overdosed. And, uh, you know, I've seen Bill Medley several times since then. But that was the, uh, it wasn't just country music that I was interested in. I, I got into country music after I got out of the Army uh, in 68. And Jerry Lee and Conway Twitty had gone from rock and roll music into country, you know. And uh, so that was great for me. But uh, that that was pretty well, you know, uh, where, where my tastes lie. I, I do like some of the big band music. And uh, and uh, you know I so you know I'm 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 pretty fairly well rounded, but uh, that that was the kind of stuff that I like and and what I like to do as a musician myself. Bobby's well, got good. a funny Conway story to tell on on our our dear friend Randy Corin. <laughs> Randy uh, Randy was a huge Conway Twitty fan. I mean, huge, still is to this day. <laughs> and. Uh, we were uh, the very first time we the the first night we ran Columbus, Ohio was a Sunday night, and uh, they had uh, they put the tickets on sale for some show for Saturday night. We had no idea what it was, and and it didn't do very well as far as ticket sales were concerned. Put ours on sale for Sunday night, and we sold out the building in thirteen minutes. So uh, we we went up on Saturday. We drove up. We left early early on Saturday morning. We drove all day to Columbus, Ohio, checked in the hotel, just kind of freshened up a little. Then we rode over to the building because I had to, uh, Jay will remember, the ring light in Atlanta was built by Eddie Smith, and it was uh, it looked like a big giant spider. And uh, I had taken that light apart, put it on the back of the truck. I had to go over and assemble it uh, so we could mount it the next, you know Sunday morning. So we got through 
got through assembling everything. And again, the show's going on. We don't know what it is outside. So we, we're, the guy told us, he said, if y'all want to see the show, so just go out there and, you know, find a place to sit. So we did. And, uh, the opening act or the, with the opening act, whoever it was, we didn't see, but the next act was Jerry Lee Lewis. Wow. Jerry came out and did his little show there, you know, and that was fine. And then they had the intermission, and we, you know, nobody was leaving, so we knew there was going to be another act. And we were sitting there, and uh, uh, if you ever saw Conway, he opened every show he ever did the same way. You uh-huh. know, the, the, just pitch dark, and he'd go, hello, darling. And every woman <laughs> in the place would scream. Right. Oh, every, woman other plus, too. every woman plus Randy Corrin. He screamed like a little girl. I turned around and looked at him, and I said, what are you doing? He said, that's Conway. <laughs> Man, that's amazing, guys. Well, guys, I want to ask you, well, did y'all enjoy going to Blakely, Georgia? I've never been there in my life. Was that the first time you ever been down there? It's my first time. Bobby's been going for three years now. He's been to every one of Dennis's shows down there. That was my third trip. It, it, you know, it, it is, hell. It's a beautiful facility, Dennis. It's a great place. It's a great venue. Dennis is a wonderful host. And, uh, you know, but as far as, uh, that's just a long trip. That's four and a half hours from Atlanta. And having to get up for church on Sunday morning, I'm just, that was probably my last trip. (laughs) Man. Yeah, that's what they always say. Yeah. Man, well, I'll tell you, what was the fans' reaction down there? What, What was the atmosphere like down there? Was it... Pretty, pretty good or not? It was good at times, and it was blasé at times. Yeah, really? I, I think a lot of those guys, the, 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 you know, and that's a, that's the thing about you're not, you know, you're running a once a year show, and uh, yeah. they don't have anything, you know, all the, you know, fairly regular down there. So a lot of those those faces, other than the, you know, the well known people that they brought in, um, the older guys. You know, the, right. they just, you know, the people weren't familiar with them, so they didn't know how to react to them. Um, ben Masters was down there. He was doing all the ring announcing and everything, and, and uh, Ben tried his best to to uh, hype the crowd and everything, and uh, he uh, he hyped us as much as he did uh, the people in the ring. And uh, But, uh, you know, they really didn't get... Uh, get a whole lot of reaction until the 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 last three matches and then uh and people finally got into it but then you had guys who uh you know had a whole lot of ring experience and were were well known in those matches so um well that's that's pretty interesting guys i've never been to blakely i did go to that continental thing they had back around may may or june which i had a good time at the con it was on the Fairgrounds and all that. I had a good time that night in Dothan. And well, how's Charlie Platt been doing? He's the, Charlie was he, that was surprising to see him. We looked up and there he was standing there. He and his uh, I guess that was his uh, wife and granddaughter or daughter and granddaughter. I don't know. He never did introduce us to him, to the lady that was with him. But uh, I think that was his wife and, and their grandchild. But. Uh, uh, he looks good. Uh, I asked him how he's been feeling. He said he's, you know, he's he's been feeling very good. And you know, when he had all those heart issues uh, back several years ago, they they told him, you know, he was he was on borrowed time. But 
he's been been doing well. Still does his show every, you know, Monday through Friday at the crack of dawn, and uh, looks good. That's good. It looks real good. Well, I'll tell you, tell you, I know with him having his heart problems and all, I think, you know, who the culprit might be with him having his heart problems. I know Charlie used to be a smoker. And uh, I think the other guy that brought a lot of that on pond, Charlie, was him dealing with Falsinato all these those years <laughs> with Southeastern Wrestling. You know, no one makes them have heart problems or drinking problems dealing with Falsinato, from what I hear, you know, and, yeah, he was and all a, that. He was something to deal with. but uh, Yeah, I bet he was, guys. I, I'm sure y'all got a lot of good stories to tell about Falsinato outside the ring and I never actually, I never was around Austin much. I only I only did one show with him when that he was on and that was uh that was in Pritchard, Alabama. Uh I I'd come back and work about a week for Fuller doing some shows and, and uh, we did a we did a uh show there at the uh Pritchard Stadium. Uh, I bet that there. was that was the only show he was. Well, that that whole week he was on different shows, but that I worked, but uh, I wasn't around him any. Yeah, I just wondered if you was. Uh, and I, what about you, Bobby? What was your experience of Mister Idol outside? I never, <laughs> I never had no problem with him personally. I mean, he, you know, he always showed up and did what he was supposed to when he when he was working for us. Best I know, uh, the the thing he did that. Uh, I guess he's most famous for in Georgia was uh, he was in a battle royal one night in Columbus, Georgia, and yeah, uh, he won it. What? Yeah. And Mr. Ward presented him a check for ten thousand dollars for winning the <laughs> battle royal, and uh, <clears throat> he noticed that Fred had signed it, so he yeah, got up, he stayed over and got up the next morning, went to the bank, <laughs> and it just so happened the bank he went to the the president or the the manager of the bank was at the show and said, oh, yeah, he won that thing last night. That's good. <laughs> and they cashed the check. Well, you know, didn't want to break kayfabe there. So, you know, it's a, there you go. He got the money. Yeah, he did. He did. He got, of course, he got a lot of other things, you know, and that's amazing how wrestling business, how you deal with people in wrestling business, how it comes around sometimes in two folds and, in life, it comes back to haunt you sometimes, you know. Yeah, funny yeah. story I've ever heard about somebody doing something similar to that in a battle royal. They, um, whatever the little town that that uh, Jim Harris, who later became Kamala, was from, uh, in Mississippi. He, uh, when the Calkins ran Mississippi, that's where Percy broke in. Percy's the one that told me this story. They, they ran a they ran a spot show in whatever this little town was that that Jim was from. And that's where they were going to let him put him over in his own hometown. So they had a battle royal there, and they, it was, you know, one of those things that, uh, you know, the, the 2000 5000 whatever the, the, the dollar amount was. But it was big news of him, of them doing this show. So they had the local news there. And so naturally they, they had him win the win the battle royal and supposedly all this money, and they had it on the news and everything. When he got home, his wife wouldn't let him come in the house till he gave her that money that he won. She saw it on the news that he won that money. <laughs> and, of course, you know, you didn't smarten your family up back in those days, so I guess he slept outside that night. <laughs> all right, that's interesting. Well, guys, i tell you what, I enjoyed 
the show as always. Y'all got a lot of good stories to tell. I'm going to tell my friend on the radio. He's doing a remote at the fourth place tomorrow. And I'll tell him I'll give y'all a lot of free plug to the Barry McKnight tomorrow. We appreciate that. Appreciate that. Guys, y'all take care. Thank you. Thank you. Jay, you talking about about Jerry Lee Lewis. My uncle, the one that just passed away, mm-hmm. he was um, he was a musician um, <clears throat> and uh, played a lot around before he moved out to L.A. and, and did a lot of session work and, and pickup work out there. He uh, he played you know local there in Mobile and and played behind a lot of the national acts that came through. He said he he was playing with Jerry Lee Lewis one night and. This was back when before he became a, a real big star, you know. He was just was playing all those local southern towns and mm-hmm. just playing with whatever pickup band he could could play with. But said, said he was playing one night. You know, one of his big things was he would kick his piano stool away and 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 yes. shake his hair, and he had that long blonde hair back in those days. He said he oh, yeah. started slinging his hair, and he had so much acid in his hair it was burning holes in the cymbal. <laughs> Symbols of the yeah, that was uh, interesting. I, I don't know who did Jerry's hair, but you know it had uh, it had a real curl to it, and yeah. uh, when he had it long like that, and those blonde locks, and uh, so when, when he'd start out for the evening, it would be combed, and you know it didn't look as long as it was, and uh, and then as the act would go on, he'd start shaking that hair, and it was all over the place. And, yeah, uh, you know that was taboo to a lot of a lot of southerners. Uh, particularly oh, yeah. uh, the the southerners in the uh, southern Baptist churches and things of that nature, and you know a lot of people didn't know how how much Jerry and his cousin uh, his two cousins grew up within the church, and uh, right. that was that was that was uh, always very interesting. I'm reading the book right now uh, that uh, on Mickey Gilly and Jerry and uh, and Jimmy uh, Swagger, his yeah. name Swaggered. Uh, uh, of them growing up together, it is quite quite, a, quite an interesting book. And uh, you know, Jerry always went from uh, religion right back to the uh, depths of rock and roll. You know, it, he went through that several times, just like Little Richard did. But he's a very interesting guy. And you know, he's the last man standing. He uh, it has really surprised me that uh, uh, he has lived as long as he has, based on the life that he's had. Who's who are we talking about? Jerry, so Lee Jerry Lee, well, you know, Swa- yeah. or, uh, you know, I mean, Swagger still got his church there in, in uh, Baton Rouge, right? He doesn't, he doesn't nearly have the following he used to have. No, once uh, he did that, I have. Once he did that, I have sinned, uh, you know, and cried on TV. Uh, yeah, you know, a lot. Some people forgave him, but a lot of a lot of folks didn't. But man, he does. Yeah, have, he's, yeah. His church that, used to be just overflowing with people, and now it's very few. And but Mickey Gilly uh, just sold his theater in Branson, and he is—he's uh, going to tour a little bit. Uh, I heard uh, uh, heard recently, uh, but also he's so eat up with arthritis he can't even play the piano anymore. Right. He uh, he started touring again last year, and uh, you know he had a very serious accident and uh, helping a guy move a, uh, a sofa. He fell down the stairs, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I saw him, uh, what, uh, was it last winter? And uh, he, he's up and about. And, uh, of course, these guys are, you know, 70 years old. And, yeah. Uh, but 
there you know Jerry Jerry is not physically in very good shape. When he sits down at the piano, you know it's Jerry Lee Lewis. But other than that, he's uh, he, he's he, he's an old man. Mickey Gilley uh, surprised me that uh, you know he he acts as young as he does. But Jimmy Swaggart, I'll see his TV show occasionally, and uh, you know I can't help it if I turn it on when he's playing the piano. Uh, I got to watch it. You know. Oh, he can. Oh, he can play and he can sing too. Yes, you yes, know, he sir. Can still sing. Yeah, yeah. my wife's well, you know, my wife's very religious, and uh, she'll you know be getting ready for bed, and I'll switch it over, and I just happen to go through the Swaggart show, and uh, she says, "What are you watching in there?" And you know, because it's unusual for me to be watching something like that, uh, but uh, but you know, I said it's Jimmy Swaggart. I got to watch this guy sing and play the piano. Yeah, you talking about Jerry Lee being the last one standing, but I understand that that uh, Little Richard is is you know he's he's on short time, and I don't know if Chuck Berry is still able to uh, tour anymore or not. I, I I saw him play about uh, six or seven years ago, and of course he was not the Chuck Berry that uh, we remember, but uh, but he was uh, you know he, he was still good enough that. Uh, it, it was it was fun to watch, but uh, I haven't seen yeah. anything on him in several years. So, who knows? But as far as but the way 2016's gone, I mean, we just lost the uh, the ESPN announcer. Of course, I'm I'm right. following a whole lot on ESPN, but he was evidently yeah, well known. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the acts that we grew up with, uh, just like the the wrestlers that we watched, uh, either they. Uh, you know they've retired, uh, or they've passed away, or they physically can't do it anymore. Uh, so it's uh, you know it's just it's just uh, you know enjoy your memories and and uh, be thankful for what what we had. And fortunately, there are a few of the acts now that are coming around that uh, that are doing the material that we watched and listened to. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, they're finding a place to perform. But uh, most of the acts that we watched and I I'm familiar with from my era. Have um, you know they're gone? Well, as long as the Rolling Stones and John Fogerty are still around, I'll be happy. Springsteen, <laughs> yeah, I'll Fogerty's great. I I I saw him right after he first started doing the material from uh, Credence again, uh, back at the Fox Theater. This was probably ten, twelve years ago, and uh, I've seen a couple of PBS specials that he's done since then, and uh, he's still fantastic. Yeah. He's he's always I I absolutely loved Credence when they came out in the late sixties and at one time owned everything that they ever did and uh had everything that, that Foley's ever done, including a very hard rare album to find, uh and I managed to find it on C D. Uh was his first solo project, but it was under the name of the, the Blue Ridge Rangers. Mhm. And uh, they they had a little minor hit, and I can't remember what it was. But obviously, once you hear Fogarty sing, you know who it is. I mean, he's got a sure. very distinctive style and guitar playing and vocals. But uh, one of the funniest lines I've ever heard or read or seen in a, in a judgment in a courtroom was when that Credence, Credence revival sued Fogarty when he come out of retire, come out and started playing again. And uh, they were they were suing him because he was singing Credence songs. There was, evidently, there was I'm not sure what the original lawsuit was, but anyway, the judge's final decision was you cannot sue a man for sounding like he does. 
you know, yeah, like just well, actually, that was yeah. that was uh, Saul Zantz was was who was suing him, who owned Fantasy Records, which was their their record label, and uh, he claimed to have uh, the rights to all of Credence's stuff. And when John started playing, you know, when he, what it what it was was when he made his comeback and released the song "Old Man Down the Road." Well, it it the guitar line in it was so much like. Uh, the Creedence song, uh, Born on the Bayou, that Saul Zant sued him, claiming, you know, I own the copyright to that, and he's he's uh, imitating. So, so Foley sat in court with his guitar and showed how he wrote both songs, and that's what the judge said. You can't sue a man for, a man can't imitate himself. Yeah. And so you that's can't why, sue him. So that's why he didn't do the Creedence song for so long. They exactly. finally settled the suit. Right. All right, and gentlemen, we are second. out of time. We are out of All time, right. Mike. All right, we'll pick this up again next week, guys. Uh, appreciate it. We appreciate Dennis, uh, Melissa Tillery. Thanks for calling in, and uh, we'll get together next week, and we'll we'll go around one more time. Sounds good. Good night, guys. Good night. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.